0: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: Welcome to Total SF and welcome Heather Knight, currently using the Total SF hand sanitizer.
2: Hello, it's good to be back. I came for the podcast, but I'm staying for the hand sanitizer. (laughs)
1: Uh, we have former Mythbusters co-host Carrie Byron coming to the Chronicle today with Project Explorer founder Jenny Bucos to talk about their new program Crash Test World but as we learned, not Carrie's first time at the Chronicle.
2: No, she surprised us by saying that she actually worked at the Chronicle 20 years ago answering phones. It sounds like she spent most of her time playing Bejeweled. (laughs) We must have crossed paths because we've both been here 20 years, but I don't remember her, is that horrible?
1: Yeah, it's not horrible, um, but former colleague, Carrie Byron here um, talking a lot about a lot of things, but um, really positive outlook towards San Francisco. Um, I came out of this energized.
2: Yeah. As our loyal listeners know, Peter and I get sick of these incessant stories from the national and international media about how San Francisco is going down the toilet. Literally, it's become this dystopia. And why would anybody want to be here? But Carrie has a very strong defense. She sounded like she was a politician getting up and giving a grand speech in front of crowds of Thousands.
1: Yet she gave such an impassioned speech. I want to actually have it played twice during this episode. Let's hear this right now, Heather, Carrie Byron, on why San Francisco is not over.
0: Um, I used to love going to the bars Mm -hmm. and just like the nitty gritty. Um, I Love that I live in a city this close to nature that I can get on a bicycle and be in the headlands within half an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm surrounded three sides with water. You can go surfing and then go to a museum Mm -hmm. all in the same day. I love how bicycle-friendly this place has become. I can ride my bike faster into the middle of town than I can drive or take a lift. Mm -hmm. I love that we are the testing ground for the new autonomous vehicles. I love that so many things are being invented right here. And I love sitting down and talking with some of the dreamers that just will talk your ear off about things that don't even exist until they've thought of them. It's oh my God, that was like a State place. of
1: the City speech. <laughs> <laughs> you need
2: to work for the mayor, right? Her speech yeah, is you
1: should need to be the mayor. <laughs> so we talk about Carrie's first jobs in San Francisco, her start at Mythbusters, we talk about Muni and bike lanes, and we talk about Crash Test World. It'll be on the Discovery Channel in September, but you can watch episodes now on projectexplorer.org. That's the company that was founded by Jenny Bucos. I'm Peter Hartlob. I'm Heather Knight. And this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome to Total SF. And welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, Jenny Bucos and Carrie Byron.
3: Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us.
1: And welcome back, Heather Knight. Hello. Yeah. um, Very excited to have you both. Crash Test World is the program. Uh, Carrie, you are hosting. Jenny, you are creating this program on Project Explorer. And I wanted to start there. Project Explorer has been going on for a while. Uh, in classrooms,
3: yeah, for 17 years before two years before YouTube, we were doing online video. I mean, like, wow! Just like think about that—that's kind of wild. Um, so I totally just aged myself too, saying I've been in the same profession for 17 years. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the no- the Project Explorer is a nonprofit that uses video to bring the world to the classroom, and Crash Test World is the next evolution of that.
1: Do you remember? Do you remember when it got started and how it got started? You must have been extremely young.
3: Um, Yeah, I was 12. No, Um, no, I used to work at an investment bank. And the investment bank said to me in 1999, would you like to go work abroad? And I said, I don't have a passport. And they gave me a passport. And I worked in Hong Kong and Tokyo for about two years. September 11th hit, I lost my job. And I got a severance package and I thought, what do I want to do with my life? And because I had never traveled and it completely changed my life, I wanted to take that severance package. and. And create something that could potentially impact every child who will never have the opportunity to travel. Um, Wrote a letter to Michael Palin of Monty Python fame and said, you were my global education. I used to watch these documentaries with you. And three days later, his office called and they said, you should look into something brand new that the BBC is doing called BBC Online Learning. The next day I started online video. Nice. Wow. So no training, like literally had like a camera in the book, like how to use it. Um, She's scrappy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's
1: totally scrappy. Clearly it worked out. Um, but that out was, that was the older. idea
3: to make sure that kids could grow up like globally and culturally aware, even if they could never get on a plane.
1: Cool. So you've got a premiere coming up. Um, I'm going to try and get this out like hours from now. Okay, great. So you've got a premiere <laughs> coming up. You chose San Francisco Great American Music Hall for your per- Premiere. I think like that's like I think where Grateful Dead premiered and Santana probably old Robin school. Robin
3: Williams recorded something on stage there. Yeah. Stan Getz. I mean like all the iconic jazz people have played there.
1: Yeah. So um, tell me about this premiere and why San Francisco?
3: Well, San Francisco, because our host is based here. Um, so we did one in Brooklyn, which is where I'm from. I'm just in town visiting. And uh, we filmed two episodes in the Bay Area. So we're trying to go to the communities in which we filmed. Um, so they have the opportunity to, to see our positive spin on those areas. Um Yeah, so Carrie set it up for us, and the Great American Music Hall welcomed us, um, Mm -hmm. which is just fantastic. So that's tomorrow night. Two episodes, uh, the themes of the episodes are how can we feed the planet, so it's all innovation around food solutions, and how can technology improve our lives, so tech for good.
2: It seems like the age range for this is, what's your demographic, would you say? Because I have two boys, and they're very into this.
3: Eight to 108? <laughs> this um, is family viewing. It's Definitely. family viewing. It's yeah. not kids programming. It's not grown-up programming. It's family viewing, mm-hmm. which there's
2: nothing like this on TV. I know. It's hard to find a show that everybody actually wants to sit down and watch together. Right. So I'm glad to have another one in the in the possibilities.
1: Well, I, I wanted to ask about Crash Test World, because I picked up your book, Carrie, Crash Test Girl, Is this kind of all related?
0: We came with Crash Test World because that's kind of how I have always traveled is just showing up at a place and digging in and trying to find the details of it and fall in love with the heart, how we play, how we live, how we communicate with each other. I've been doing that since college. So when Jenny kind of cold called me and asked if I wanted to do a show on curiosity and travel the world... I I couldn't say yes fast enough. Had
2: you known each other before that? No,
3: we got introduced by a mutual friend that Carrie had worked with and he is an advisor to my nonprofit. And I said, I think I'm doing this show and the number one person I want to host it is Carrie Byron but I don't know her. He's like, I just worked (laughs) on a show with her. Um, So he sent out a very modern introduction on Twitter. Hey, you two should know each other. Um, We scheduled a call and I was, I just told this the other day, I was so nervous to talk to Carrie that I
0: canceled our first call. Because I was like, she's gonna say
3: no because I hadn't done TV before, so I canceled
0: it. Um, Yeah, she just told me that story, and I'm like, wait, what? I thought she was running game. Like, look, I am so busy, (laughs) (laughs) so busy, can't even talk to you. (laughs) It came off really well. It actually worked.
3: it came off very well. But this was not the original title of the show. It was called Destination World, and when Carrie signed on, everyone involved in the show read her book and were like, let's lean into that brand.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and Crash Test, you mention it in the book. You're not a scientist by background. Um, Nope. But you are a crash tester.
0: I'm an artist. Uh And I ended up hosting Mythbusters as an artist. I went to get an internship to try to do toy prototyping and special effects because I wanted to be like Jamie Heineman and Tori Bellacci and actually work in special effects. So my first day as an intern at M5 Industries, which was Jamie's shop, was also the first day they started filming Mythbusters. So I kind of tripped and fell into television, um, worked my butt off to stay there, and you know, two decades later I'm still doing it because it really comes down to science, art, Everything that I'm interested in is really just the pursuit of curiosity, mm-hmm. and that's just what this is.
1: Yeah, and and even before that, um, you went to San Francisco State.
0: I mean, I have had every possible job in San Francisco, including answering phones at the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> was a temp job for a while. What it year was, was that? It was like 20 years ago, so I'm guessing around 2000.
2: We must have overlapped because I started in
0: 99. No kidding. (laughs) Well, I would be the redheaded girl playing bejeweled at the front (laughs) desk, (laughs) pretending I was doing things and like... You know, answering the phones. Well, I
2: was in turtlenecks and bangs, so not oh, very memorable.
0: Okay. <laughs> I had hair.
1: I had a full head of hair. Um,
0: <laughs> been a long time for all of us.
1: It's a different time. What was your Chronicle service like? I mean, did you like it here? What, you can be honest. It's been 20 years. Statute of limitations over.
0: It was really exciting. I mean, newspapers were just, that was hot. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was the cool job. And oh, just- We're going to pull that and make it. Yeah, it still (laughs) is, Carrie. It's still super hot. I just remember, uh, I I can't remember his name, but the cartoonist that was here used to come and sit on my desk and talk to me, and I thought he was super
1: cute. Wow. He must
2: have thought you were super cute, too, if he came and sat on your desk.
0: I mean, 20 years ago. (laughs) I was so cute.
1: So you had an internship at M5. Um, At the time, Mythbusters was not a TV show.
0: Uh, So Mythbusters... First filming was July 6th 2002. It didn't get on the air till 2003, mm-hmm. but we didn't think anybody was going to see it. I mean, this was the wild west of cable TV. It was when there was just a couple networks and then, you know, just a smattering of cable channels that played animal documentaries. You know, Discovery kind of took a chance on all of these reality-based shows and Mythbusters was one of those. And every single year we kept thinking, well, let's just keep doing this because it's not going to last long. And it just kept going. Yeah.
1: Had you thought about being on TV then? And and was that kind of a surprise to you? Did you also, did you feel like you had some kind of skill sets that were going to fit in for on screen?
0: Heck no. (laughs) (laughs) I like to build things. I was very curious. And it was just a fun, weird job. And the one thing I've always wanted in a job is it to always change. I, I like the challenge of not knowing what I'm doing and figuring it out. And uh, I was extremely shy and very bad at television. It was trial by fire. If you look at the first couple of Mythbusters, they are slow paced and all of us are terrible at it. <laughs> we are so bad. It just over time we figured out the formula and what to do and how to talk to the camera without that cold dead eye just hypnotizing you into saying like silly things. Yeah.
1: I remember I covered it, um, and we were talking a little bit before the mics were on. But um, I was sent out. I was a really new entertainment writer, and they sent me out to do this thing called MythBusters. They sent me a couple of VHS tapes, which I didn't watch. I was super busy, and I just assumed because it was out on Cesar Chavez that it was going to be something in a warehouse with a couple people, like at a, at a you know table and chairs talking about science. And I show up there, and there's this like. Cannon that's been built. And Heather, I mean, it was a cannon. It was um, this giant cons- contraption pointed at, I think it was an old car, and they were loading frozen chickens into it for <laughs> some kind of myth. And you were working there at the time because you actually mentioned this myth in your book.
0: Yeah, we were trying to see if birds would go through an airplane, like through the glass of an airplane, um, frozen or not. And was How v- did
2: you come up with these ideas?
0: Well, y- there used to be a lot of Darwin Awards, uh, uh, Snopes kind of books. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our original myths came out of books. Uh, we had a huge library that we would just kind of go through. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the ones from the book. And we, we just... We came up with the weirdest ways to test it. And chicken cannon was something that we had to slowly figure out how to make work. Because when we first shot the chickens, they needed something to kind of hold them in the cannon. So then we started covering them in foam that would break away as the chickens came out of the cannon. But we're talking high pressure air. So even just getting the chickens not to explode out the end of the cannon, the hardest part was figuring out how to clean it. Because we're talking broken glass chicken guts, frozen, high, chicken guts. Uh, frozen and not frozen oh, no. and just really high impacts so just chicken spraying
1: I, re- <laughs> <laughs> I remember a chicken was fired out of this cannon and hit the windshield and it didn't go through the windshield it it exploded. In such a spray pattern that it went straight up into what looked like like open—they weren't skylights, but you know, open um, windows for ventilation—and I remember Adam Savage saying, "Jamie's going to be so pissed about that." And I'm thinking, "Who's got to clean that up?" And that was—that
0: was me and Tori Balachi <laughs> on a boom lift with toothbrushes. Oh my god! For days, wow. just picking chicken guts out of piping and the ceiling and corners and just at the time tori had come from ilm working on the next generation of star wars and (laughs) matrix and we're scraping chicken guts and he just looks at me and he's like i left ilm for this did
2: you get a major bonus for that episode i hope so Bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus. <laughs> <laughs> what is that?
0: What is that? This, was, this is the beginning of television. They, they didn't pay you like that.
1: <laughs> I, I remember thinking, this show's going to be a hit, watching this. And then I went the next day, and they went. I went out to a, a lagoon, and um, they're trying to, with a rowboat, like a, a rowing team, get Jamie up on water skis. And I'm just thinking, I want to watch this. This is going to be a hit. I also thought this isn't gonna be in San Francisco for long. Um, they're gonna take this to L.A., you know, this is gonna be a big hit in L.A. But it stayed here, what, 14 years? It's always San Francisco, and San Francisco in the Bay Area, I feel like really became part of the character of the show.
0: Well, it stayed here for a few reasons. One, we all live here, and we love it here. Two, um, shows in L.A. are very expensive, it's like the wedding industry. So, mm-hmm. if you go to LA and you want to blow something up, you got a pyrotechnic and you've got a lot of expense. Up here if you wanted to blow something up, you make friends with the bomb squad. They turn it into a training exercise and they get to learn from the explosions and we get to film it. <laughs> so, things were actually cheaper to make up here and we were scrappy and we just You know, being exciting as a television show. Since they didn't film them up here very often, we could get people to volunteer their time. We could get the fire department to help us with fires, and the police department to help us with guns, and the bomb techs to help us with bombs. I mean, we could get whatever we wanted. We could find a full butcher stomach, you know, from a cow with all of the ventricles coming off of it, because they're like, "Cool, you're doing a show." (laughs) it's 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 a little different than LA, where everybody's like, "Ugh, gross, you're filming movies and TV enough." like yeah it's yeah. just like it's just another day but up here everybody's like yay can i be there can i watch your film
2: also we have a strong science and nerd contingent up here that really oh, appreciated yes. the show
0: and a lot of abandoned military bases <laughs> yeah. a lot of places that'll let us drive cars on runways at top speed and maybe take down a couple of fences <laughs> on the way or you just abandoned places hunter's point we yeah. filmed so much there it was amazing
1: I live in Alameda, and um, I coach mostly basketball, but I've coached a little soccer, and a couple of the soccer fields actually line up against the part of the base where Mythbusters was always filming... You know, there's always a car going there. And I remember the kids, it would be a problem because we'd hear. Rrr, rrr, rrr. And all the kids are like, Mythbusters is here. And they'd run to the thing. And I'm like, no, we got a practice. No more soccer.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was so much fun when we go out there and I would just take whatever car, whatever production vehicle. Hopefully it was a Crown Vic because you can just mess those up and just drive at full speed down the runway and do donuts and J-turns. And I learned some really great driving skills. That's awesome.
1: So you were on the show. You said you weren't comfortable. I thought you were very comfortable from the beginning. Um, Like you said, everybody, it was part of the charm of the show, I think, is that it was kind of real. It was real people. Um, And then you you wrote about this in your book. You got pregnant and you stayed on the show, which I think is something super unique because it seems like every TV show that I've seen, someone gets pregnant. They either all of a sudden are like carrying around duffel bags (laughs) or like behind a counter (laughs) or they're gone and you continued on the show.
0: Well, it was reality based, you know? <laughs> we had a uh, it was it was real life and I don't think that anybody felt like we needed to hide it. It was yeah. all part of the experiment. I, I actually wanted to do some pregnancy myths, but they're like nobody wants to hear about that. Oh, I would <laughs> yeah. have totally watched that. I you would have <laughs> reboot. reboot here.
2: What pregnancy yeah. myth would you like to talk about?
0: I mean, I there was so many different ones like if uh, that that you know whether it was a boy or a girl mm-hmm. or you know, yeah. I I did that pregnancy magazine and yeah. Levels, yeah. I did all of those myths. (laughs) None of them are true.
1: What what were your, I remember just going in with my wife and all the conversations we had with our doctor about like, hey, can I play loud music? You know, at what point can the baby hear? What were your conversations like? Because you guys are blowing stuff up and doing these, you know, using chemicals, stuff like that. I bet your conversations were different than mine.
0: Uh, It was was definitely a very careful balance because I would go into my doctor and be like, okay, so at one point, I'm going to have to stop shooting guns. When do I have to stop shooting guns? And she's like, I have never been asked that before. I have no idea what to tell you. So, you know, we were doing gun myths. I was five months pregnant. I had a big flak jacket. One thing that didn't make the episode, but it was in our rough cut, is our narrator. (laughs) As I was putting on a flak jacket over my big five-month pregnant belly, I hear the narrator says, well, it's a little late for protection now, Carrie. <laughs> no, you should have left that in there. Oh no, that would be great. I know. I don't think the network was down with that one. But I I was hoping uh. they'd keep that in the show. But yeah, I had to I, I did a lot of research with actually police and um, you know, professions where somebody might be pregnant mm-hmm. in this situation and we were overly cautious. We stayed way further back from explosions than mm-hmm. you know, the math would say the shockwave would affect me. I mean it was we just dealt with it. I mean, I was pregnant up to my due date on the show. Wow. The due date all the way there. And then like a week later, I had the baby.
1: Do you remember oh what gosh. like the last myth was before you left?
0: We were in the middle of a myth um, about uh, one of those old scuba suits that the pressure changed and sucked a guy through the suit, um, exploded his head. And so we oh were God. we were creating... Um, a human analog out of a bunch of meat sewn together and made this like Frankenstein-style mannequin that went inside the suit, and the smells were really, really pungent, just raw meat-rotting kind of smells. It was a good time
2: to go. Was that myth true or or debunked?
0: I mean, we did kind of explode the head in the suit, (laughs) and yeah, it did get sucked through the pipes a bit. Whoa. Is Mythbusters why you're a vegetarian? <laughs> you know,
1: that is a Myth good question. Mythbusters
0: had a lot to do with me getting a little more hardcore vegetarian, I'd have to say. But uh, I'm I'm ever since then, I have slowly integrated insects into my diet thanks to you, which is strange because on Mythbusters they try to make me eat bugs all the time, but I realized they try to make me eat live bugs. Jenny has shown me how to make them gourmet.
1: Yeah, you know, it's on crash test world jenny what what tell us a little bit about that vignette it's about a six minute vignette i just watched
0: Uh, the
3: edible insects yeah um and that's that's like 10 years in the making i've been obsessed with edible insects for a decade Um, when i first went to south africa and somebody put them in front of me and i'm like that's so gross i could never eat it Um, but let's film it and let's get our presenter to eat it and then the more and more i started screening that in front of classrooms i decided like i couldn't I couldn't be an advocate for sustainable food sources unless I had tried it myself. And you know, I tried the cricket, which is sort of like the gateway bug. Um, it's like the easy <laughs> one to do. Um, and after that, I was like, well, this is no big deal. Now how can I start to advocate for this on a global scale? So that, when we decided we were doing the, the food episode, insects were the first thing we wanted to do, uh-huh. yeah. I'm and pleasantly but, surprised. But Carrie had been pre-prepared because I had sent her a cricket flour, a cricket granola, a gourmet cricket cookbook.
0: <laughs> she gave me a recipe <laughs> for chocolate chirp cookies. <laughs> Is Are it you going to a- be
2: serving those tomorrow night?
0: I wish. Um, <laughs> I wish.
2: Yeah, they're still they're still very
3: expensive oh. um, to consume. So, but we can tell you where you can get them. Um, and she's great. It's I mean, it's a woman who infuses um, edible insects into foods you're familiar with, so hmm. like tacos and um, desserts. We had it on top of ice cream. So that's
0: I think it's a really good way to sort of test the waters. But, but they're too. roasted with like chili and lime. And you could throw them on a tostada. And but I, I, I saw them on me. Good Eggs on the grocery delivery site. Really? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. They're getting a lot. That. Have you no both problem. tried them? No,
3: no, I would. no.
1: Are you, you're saying I would. I would try anything here, once. Last episode, she said she was going to get a tattoo with me. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, we, and, and uh, well, she might. Still well, I do haven't it.
3: not. I, I mean, mean, do you eat? Do you, you eat possible. prawns? Do you eat shrimp? Yeah. Then it's kind of the same thing. Like think about people eating prawns or like sushi, like 25 years ago, like mm-hmm. how people saw that as kind of gross. And quite honestly, if you're eating any type of packaged food, you're already eating bugs <laughs> anyhow. So oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is it is it easy having Carrie on because she's been through like everything? I mean, asking her to eat bugs is not a huge ask looking at what's been what's after happened after the frozen chicken can yeah. incident.
3: Um, well, Carrie's easy as a presenter cuz she's curious about everything. So that's what that's what made her my first pick. Um, I don't ask her to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Uh-huh. Um, And I think that's kind of unique in television. Um, Right from the start, I'm like, look, if you're ever uncomfortable with anything, you don't have to do it, we'll just change it so it works for you. That's very Um, different from the MythBuster production. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so she's, yeah, you're easy to work with.
2: So Carrie, how many years have you lived in San Francisco?
0: Uh, well, I grew up in Los Gatos, which mm-hmm. is 45 minutes south of here, and uh, I used to come here in high school to get the cool clothes off mm-hmm. of Haight Street, and my first job, I drove a giant Cadillac down into Union Square thinking I could just park it on the street somewhere, <laughs> and I worked at Cafe Coletto's as a barista. Uh-huh. And at the
1: Chronicle.
0: And, and at the Chronicle. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Most job you ever had. <laughs> I've done so many different things in the city, but I went to San Francisco State, so mm-hmm. I have been here for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I've lived in the hate and in the mission, and uh, mostly I've lived out in the sunset.
2: Mm-hmm. We were talking before we started recording, but wanted to get your input on how everybody, you know, the national media and even international media is all doom and gloom on San Francisco, and it's going down the toilet literally. Do you agree with those assessments?
0: I think doom and gloom just sells right now. Mm-hmm. So everybody loves the doom and gloom, but let's face it. We are we are the we are the gold rush. We are the generation that always hates the generation before mm-hmm. i mean the beatniks hated the hippies and the you know at all of the punk rockers hated you know the the hippies after that yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody kind of hates the next generation it's just a place of dreams and it's a different kind of dreaming it's entrepreneurs it's it's all just it's just another gold rush mm-hmm. and it will constantly change there's still artists here i meet them all the time there's still musicians here and it might be harder because it's very expensive to live but I feel like we're in constant flux Mm -hmm. and you just have to be open to what the new beauty is. And right now it's entrepreneurial tech people.
1: Mm -hmm. And it was expensive in 99, 2000 when I think the three of us all lived in the hate or right around that area. I remember it was super expensive. I couldn't believe what I was paying for a studio apartment but um, I did it and that became part of the struggle and the motivation and, Uh, And it turned out all right. I think
0: it's hard for anybody right now who is young to put down roots anywhere. I think it's just the the times are really tough to be a young person trying to buy a house. So I don't think it's necessarily just San Francisco. I think the world right now is just a tough place to be a millennial trying to get a place to live.
2: Mm -hmm. Nice. Do you still love San Francisco as much as you did when you were?
0: I love it and I love it different. Um, I used to love going to the bars Mm -hmm. and just like the nitty gritty. Um, I... Love that I live in a city this close to nature that I can get on a bicycle and be in the headlands within half an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm surrounded three sides with water. You can go surfing and then go to a museum Mm -hmm. all in the same day. I love how bicycle friendly this place has become. I can ride my bike faster into the middle of town than I can drive or take a lift. Mm -hmm. I love that we are the testing ground for the new autonomous vehicles. I love that so many things are being invented right here and I love sitting down and talking with some of the dreamers that just will talk your ear off about things that don't even exist until they've thought of them it's oh my god that was like a state place.
1: of the city speech yeah. <laughs> you need to work
2: for the mayor right Her speech yeah you
1: should need to be the mayor <laughs> have you been on car free market yet no no you're gonna love it I actually look up and see the buildings now I I, I bike to work every day and and i used to white knuckle it on market and now i look up and i'm like oh my god this it's beautiful here yeah
0: i mean i i tend to stay on the from like the sunset to the mission on bicycles whenever i have to come down here for some reason i need better hair and that's the hard thing with a bicycle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the helmets that's what we really need to invent techies yeah. i need a helmet on it's there, not going to make a sweaty head. There is one. Hit.
3: There's one that, like, you wear as, like, a collar, and it's an impact, and it inflates. I think it's Swedish in design. Oh I've, seen, it that. Hasn't, it's, I've seen that. This is season two of What I Want to Do with <gasps> Crash Test oh, World. Yeah. It's been on the list for a while.
0: Because I'm not sure I trust it yet. I know. I know. I look at that thing, and I'm like, do I really want to be the test? Because <laughs> that involves my head hitting the ground. This is crash testing. Yeah. I know. It's I'm going to have to do it. crash okay. testing. <laughs> okay. It's okay. in the
1: name of the show. I, mean, I
0: know. Yeah. I know. I've been pushed into so many crazy things in this television life. I've <laughs> jumped off buildings and been covered in scorpions. I guess I could put on a helmet that I'm not sure is a helmet.
1: <laughs> well, season one, and uh, I, and I should mention that um, Heather has a lightning round that she'd like to give you, Carrie, with a few questions. But <laughs> before we get there, um, let's talk about season one. When does it premiere? How can people watch it? Uh, congratulations, Jenny, on the Discovery Channel news. And you. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about how. People can watch it, and I understand they can watch it now.
3: They can watch three of the six episodes in season one now on projectexplorer.org completely for free, so you Mm -hmm. don't need any subscription, none of that. It's just there. Um, We will be on Discovery. It's taken us two years to film the first season um, because nobody
0: thought anyone would watch this, kind of like Mythbusters. Because uh, every pitch meeting I've been in for every network for the past few years, they say, nope, that's too too smart.
2: smart." Too smart. Oh, my God.
0: We are, under es- we, are yes. right now. we are underestimating our
3: audiences.
1: Yeah.
3: But Discovery then saw all six and took it. So that'll be on from September.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Great. Great news.
0: But I sh- we should mention that on Project Explorer, the way that the show is broken up into different acts also comes with curriculum. So if you are, say, shut down for a pandemic and you're (laughs) homeschooling your children, all of a sudden there's some global education right there with lesson plans available. That is very good. We are pandemic safe.
1: (laughs) Nice. Well, projectexplorer.org. And uh, congratulations, Jenny. Thank you.
2: So I have asked the mayor, speaking of which, as well as many other important San Franciscans, these questions. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito?
0: Ooh, I, I do like Farlitos, mm-hmm. but I think it's in old Mythbuster vestige. We used to go there at lunch all the time, and that's three meals in one burrito. <laughs> it is.
2: <laughs> what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco?
0: That is tough because, as a film major at San Francisco State, we watched Vertigo with a beautiful eye for the city, and I visited all the places that you can see in Vertigo. I love the bullet chase because I love going. Hey, you can't get there from there. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> but then um, I love every movie that Willie Brown made an appearance because I heard I, I heard he had little claws like you can film in my city, but I'm gonna you know. St- you know, come out of a building during the Princess Mm -hmm. Diaries.
2: (laughs) The famous line from that is, the rain never comes down on Willie Brown.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) Where is your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink?
0: Oh, my living room. (laughs) I'm I'm more of a wine girl these days. I really love going to Woods Brewery. has a really good natural wine list. Oh, what is that? Well, they've got a couple in the city.
1: You're, you mentioned you're in the sunset, and um, we actually added, we created the 49-mile scenic route, which is rebooting the 49-mile 49, mile, 49 mile scenic drive to make it walkable and bikeable. And my one thing like I, that we're going to have on there is the Riptide. Yes. Yeah, the bar out there. And that's my like barometer for San Francisco. San Francisco is still cool. As long as the riptide is out there and they're taking cash only.
0: Yeah, I mean in the old days it was the kilowatt and the zeitgeist and now it's more the riptide, the Pittsburgh pub. Um but if I'm gonna I'm I'm a little more bougie now than I used to be, so instead of a shots and a beer, it's gonna be more like an artisanal cocktail at Outerlands.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. What was your first concert?
0: The first concert that I went to without my parents, because my first real concert was the Bengals at Great America with my dad in the sixth grade, but the first one that I went to was Shoreline Van Halen.
1: Nice. Oh, awesome. My first one was Van Halen. Really? Maybe you're there. No, no, no. no. I'm older than you. But I did uh, 5150, the Van Hagar, like when he just started at the Cow Palace. And I was at the show where um, I ended up working with Joel Selvin, but uh, where... uh, Joel Selvin wrote something bad about Van Halen and Van Hagar. I think he said that uh, Sammy Hagar ruined two bands by joining (laughs) Van Halen. So Sammy Hagar lifted up Joel's phone number and read Joel's phone number to the crowd and told them to call him. Yes, that (laughs) is so rock. That is so rock and roll. And then Joel ended up writing uh, Sammy Hagar's book. So he was a (laughs) ghostwriter. Anyway, I'm sorry, Heather. I interrupted the lightning round. I'm a
2: total dork. I'm more excited about the Bengals. What was your your favorite Bengals song? Uh R.E.M. Also at Shoreline,
0: actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, God. Well, back then, you know, Walk Like an Egyptian was pretty amazing. But Hazy Shade of Winter, I mean, (laughs) I've seen Susanna Hoff on on social media. And I think she is a Dorian Gray, never ages kind of woman. Because she looks the same.
2: Wow. Got to get her secrets. Uh, What was the last book you read?
0: Ben Lerner um, is uh, 1004. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's a poet. Okay. It's fiction.
2: Peter and I um, started this Total SF by riding every Muni bus in one day, and it's possible. 18 hours later, we did it. What is your favorite Muni line?
0: Um, well, for people watching, I really like the 22, but uh, for my main drag, I'm always on the N. Yeah. I'm on the N a lot, and I see a lot of interesting things. Valentine's Day, there were rose petals on the ground. I don't know why. Whoa. If there was a celebration or somebody just, I don't know, their roses fell apart.
2: Maybe they got in a fight and slammed. Yeah,
0: I actually yeah. saw a guy, and I was trying to figure out if he was homeless or a techie, because he, he looked kind of beardy and but disheveled, but also had super high-tech stuff with him, and he pulled out a blender. Stuck in a banana and some grains and stuff so, and made a smoothie on the end train and drank it. And I was just like, Wow, this is the craziest place to live.
1: Jenny's thinking, like, I gotta get on the bus more. <laughs>
0: she was yeah, in New York.
2: Is, yeah, true. That's <laughs> true. It's similar. That's true. What's the weirdest thing you've seen on the New York subway?
3: Uh, three people dressed like giant bumblebees. Hmm. Coming down the escalator. Don't just know not why. not on Halloween. Not on Halloween. Just normal, like, Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) No idea why. No idea. One, you know, you think, okay, kids' birthday party. Three? Yeah. Why? That is weird. In Brooklyn, why?
2: Last question for both of you. What is one thing you always squeeze into your busy day? Carrie, you can go first.
0: I always have to squeeze in quality time with my daughter. Yeah. You know, all the phones off and just conversation. Jenny. Cup of English tea. <laughs>
2: Except for this morning. When Except you for this morning. It.
0: Yes. <laughs> you survived the lightning round. Good job.
1: Yeah, good work.
0: That was easy. I thought there were going to be some hard questions in there. They're all about San Francisco.
1: No, no, no. They're, they're, it depends who you are. Some people... Some
0: people really
2: stumble.
1: Yeah. They don't are know where go? their favorite oh. burrito place yeah. is.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got a wealth of knowledge of the city. I, I've been a big fan for a long time. It's why I put roots down here. Yes. I keep traveling looking for another place that I might live and I end up here. Mm-hmm. That's no great. matter what. Cool.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on Total SF. Thank you for coming back to the Chronicle, Carrie. Thank you, Jenny, for uh, coming to the Chronicle, and and, uh, congratulations on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight and our guests, Carrie Byron and Jenny Bucos. Total SF is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod.